Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Ladies Who London podcast. I'm Emily Dell. And I'm Alex Lacey and we are Qualified London Blue Badge Tourist Guides. Each week we bring to you some of the best bits of London. We talk about our favourite people, places and events with a bit of information, a lot of fun and a whole lot of laughs. Oh no, we can be found... that was wrong. Wrong way around. Oh, no, carry on. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> we can be found on Instagram at Ladies Who London Podcast and on our website, skydemily.com. And alexlacy.com, as well as our dedicated podcast website, ladieswholondon.com. So, how are you, dear? I am very well. I've just come back from a uh, a few days away, um, which was very much needed. I've literally come back today in order to do the podcast tonight. Uh, yeah, but it was lovely. Down on the south coast of England, just having some time at the beach, chilling out and uh, relaxing for a little bit. How are you? Mm, I'm very well, yeah, but I need a little bit of the coast breeze, I have to say. <laughs> the coastal breeze, fish and chips, ice cream, seagulls. Yeah, give me a little bit of that, please. Oh, it was wonderful. It Genuinely, I've I've worked so hard this year. Um, I don't feel I've done anything other than work and sleep, so it was really nice to get away. Uh, for a little bit but I could do with another week so uh, I might have to wait for a, a little bit later in the mm. year um, but there we go yeah yes oh, we finally go. had some rain as well and we finally had some rain and yeah I'm getting my deck in tomorrow which is oh, quite yeah. exciting I'm actually yeah. going to be able to use my garden yeah <laughs> in the new house um, which is at the time you know obviously in the new house but this is the time when uh, the weather starts to get a bit colder, but nevertheless, the decking is going down. Fantastic. Um, yeah. And how is the new yeah. house? You've got yeah. you've got Wi-Fi now, which is good. I've got Wi-Fi now. There are still a lot of things in boxes because Nick, my partner, bless him, has still done his back in. Oh no. So um, we can't. Yeah, we can't really move too much around. Plus, I I absolutely hate DIY. <laughs> putting up shelves and all that kind of thing i just i can't i just cannot do it oh, i Nick love it let me do it either i'll come he, and help you he just he knows oh please we need somebody because <laughs> i i don't know the the house just feels uh, it needs a bit of attention a bit of love but we are in uh which is the main thing and carmen's getting used to her new bedroom so yeah Aww. all good that's so lovely amazing yeah, right well yeah. let's crack on with the podcast this week have you got any shout outs to do at all 
Um, I don't think I do. I'm pretty sure I do, but oh gosh, we've just been terrible, haven't we, in terms of keeping connected. I know. Um, I'm sure I do. <laughs> Big shout outs to lots of you. <laughs> all of you. We'll get back on it. We've, we've, it's been a busy couple of months and we're, you know, with moving house and all that and, you know, businesses and stuff like that. So, um, yeah. Exactly. Bear with us, bear with us. But anyway, let's go back into something we haven't done for a couple of weeks, which is the finding out what happened in Podcast Pedestal. Because we have two to remedy. So what have we got? We do. So uh, if you cast your minds back, it was quite a while now, but you were talking to us about a tennis player whose name was... Jean Barotra. Yes. And our podcast picks for Jean Barotra, do you remember? Um, I remember that. One was the chef, who was the chap <laughs> that cycled mine. into town. Um, mm-hmm. And the other one was Gangle, who was the uh, local kind of, I guess, the, the local German commander who decided to kind of stick around and help out, really. Mm. And which way, I mean, <laughs> I was about to say, which way do you think it's gone? You're the one that does the numbers, so... Which way is it gone, Alex? Well, that week we had, it was a 44 to 56% split. (sighs) And it went my way. It went to Gangle. Oh, it went to Gangle. Yeah. And actually, I've just remembered a shout out that I need to do related to that, um, which is Stephen from um, Wimbledon, who I think I mentioned on the actual podcast uh, when we did that and and said that he'd listened that day and then we'd gone... You know, I'd gone in and met him under centre court. And we both gone, oh, my God, oh, my God, that's such a cool story. So, actually, I need to give him a shout-out because he did email and say, yes, I, I did, I, you know, I, um, I chatted to you. So, yeah, um, a shout-out to him. Hello. Hello. <laughs> um, and, yes, it went my way. It went for Gangle. Well, good for you. Uh, let's um, I've been power a bit through. Of a... You did need a bit of a win, I have to yeah. say. And then last week we were talking about the fourth plinth. And do you remember which one you went for? Um, the fourth plinth, I went for Alison Lapper, which is my um, my favourite of mm. all of them. Well, it's, it's it's a tough call, that one, but I think that's the one I always remember. I, I feel like it was a real turning point in in kind of modern and contemporary art that is in sort of the public realm. So, yeah, I went for Alison mm. Lapper. It was a very good one, I have to say. Um, I went for uh, Anthony Gormley's One and Other, uh, which and is that would have been have... my other choice as well, actually, because that was another favourite. It was so good. Yes, yeah. So I, I'm going to guess that it was pretty close. Um, it was pretty close, actually. It was slightly closer than the previous week, 45-55. Ooh. Mm, what do you think? Which way do you reckon it went on that mm. one? I can see your face, Alex. It went, <laughs> it went pregnant, didn't it? It, it went, went Alice Lover. Yeah, Yay. not surprising. Two. Two wins Two in a row. Oh my yeah. God, you're doing well for <laughs> our next little century. Um, so that means because we were currently, I was currently winning at fifteen thirteen. So we are fifteen Ooh. all. We are <gasps> neck and yeah, neck, bringing it we back, head towards a hundred and two. This is brilliant. I'm, I'm making a comeback <laughs> finally. Well done. Finally. Well done. Oh, also, I do have a shout out. Okay. Um, to Jenna Marie. Hi, Jenna Marie. And um, this is a picture, to do with a picture, she sent a picture um, of the fourth plinth because she said after the episode last week, she went through all of her pictures of London and she found one of Trafalgar Square and found the fourth plinth. Ah. And on it was the invisible enemy piece. <gasps> yes. Yes. Yeah. So big shout out to you. 
<laughs> well done, Jenna Marie. <laughs> Thanks for doing that. <laughs> Amazing. Right, so this week, where did the wheel land him? I'm going to guess Westminster. Yes, it was Westminster. Did it actually? Okay. It did, yeah. <laughs> well done. Well guessed. Yeah, it Great. was Westminster, which is a, a, an old fave. And I think, you know, it's one we've kept on the wheel, even when we've swapped things on and off. Because there's, it's just like, you know, you can link it to anything. And, and there's mm. so many great things there. Um, and it's my week this week. So I wanted to go for someone that I did talk about on Global Tea Break before. Um, but of course, I know not everybody who listens used to watch that. And it's a it's a woman who I find really fascinating. And she's very much linked to Westminster, not just for the fact that there is a sculpture of her there, but also due to the fact that this was very much her stomping ground and the area of parliament parliament square that kind of uh you know well the powerhouse really of london uh of well government in in england um is the area that, that she had so much impact on and also just spent a lot of time in fighting for the things that, that were right to her so we're talking about millicent garrett Fawcett this week who yeah big fan of hers so if you've been to London, I know not everybody who listens has been to London, and if you can picture Parliament Square, uh, the it's it's rather creatively uh, the square in front of Parliament. We're not very uh, uh, not thinking very broadly on naming that one, but on the square is well, there's a whole host of statues of people, and you don't have to be British to be there. You have to have something in common, which is that you fought for the freedom or of a country or a group of people. So, for example, we have Winston Churchill. I mean, we're going to really on that square. But we've also got people like Gandhi, like um, Nelson Mandela, like Honest Abe, Abe Lincoln as well, um, as well as a couple of other British uh, politicians and people like that. And the one thing that there was not was a statue of a woman. And to kind of preface this, I want to just, just give you a few stats about the number of statues of women uh, mm. in london there's a there's very very few mm. uh, there's a tiny percentage of non-royal women because of course the women that are royal you know victoria um queen anne uh, vicky well i've just said vicky actually haven't i um we haven't actually got a statue of queen elizabeth ii i don't think have we no not in london there are in, in other places but not in london we've got elizabeth the um. first we have got Elizabeth the first. What statue of her actually? Where's that statue? Yeah, it's on the uh, the church along Fleet Street. You're right. You're right. Um, yes, yeah, so there's statues of of royal women, but there was a survey in 2016 showing that just 2.7 percent of statues in London were of non-royal women. God. Now, of course, that even when you talk about even when you add in the royal women, there's not that many queens compared to the number of kings. So again it's a pretty you know small amount and there is now fundraising underway for more um and one of the first to be unveiled was this one of millicent garrett Fawcett in 2018 now there was a really good reason why she was unveiled in 2018 do you know why um i don't think i do actually well it was the 100th anniversary of women some women not all women having the right to vote in england of course yeah or in the uk i should say um 
And she was the very first statue of a woman in Parliament Square. Now, if you were to look at Parliament um, from Parliament Square and if you go just down to the right of it, you get to a little garden um, alongside the river, just to the right hand side of Parliament. And in there is a sculpture of another woman, Emmeline Pankhurst. Mm. Now, there was a discussion about moving Emmeline Pankhurst to Parliament Square to kind of correct this imbalance of men versus women. And the the argument kind of went we need more women not we don't just want to move the ones that we've got so let's have another woman and there's also another potential reason why Emmeline Pankhurst wasn't moved to Parliament Square is that in her time uh, she was part of the suffrage movement who were considered terrorists Millicent Fawcett however was part of the suffragist movement who were not considered terrorists they were peaceful protesters and it was protesting rather than the smashing of windows and uh, cutting of communication wire and laying of bombs and and fires that, that the suffragettes were involved in. So when you think about women's right to vote, you, you tend to go towards Emmeline Pankhurst and the suffragettes, don't you? Mm. That's, yeah, the, that's the big word that the big name that comes up is, you know, we, we think about Mary Poppins and um, sister suffragettes and, and, you know, Mrs. Banks heading off to the suffrage movement. And that's not wholly accurate because that's not the entire picture of it. There, there was a point. I mean, obviously, Emmeline Pankhurst was very instrumental in the cause, but but she was a radical. She was, you know, they got to a point where nothing much was happening in the fight for women's rights. And Emmeline kind of went, right, well, uh, we need to start making ourselves heard. And the the women's suffrage movement split into two parts. The suffragettes on one side that went radical, went, um, you know, into into deep. Well, her, her motto was deeds, not words. And the suffragist movement that moved, that kind of kept on their peaceful protest type way. So the WSPU, the Women's Social and Political Union that Emmeline Pankhurst ran, was often seen as a terrorist organisation. Now, arguably... And I say arguably for for good reason, because people will argue this, of greater importance in actually achieving the aim of women's suffrage was Millicent Fawcett. Because she went down this more peaceful route and she was at the forefront of the struggle for women's rights for over 50 years. She's not just uh, to do with women's right to vote. There are other things that we'll come to shortly. So... Let's rewind and go back to who is Millicent Fawcett. Now, I say Millicent Garrett Fawcett, which is kind of her, her, her full name. Fawcett is her um, married name, but she kept her maiden name of Garrett in there. So does the name Garrett ring any bells for you for other strong women in that era? Oh, um, is there an Elizabeth Garrett? Yes, Elizabeth Garrett Anderson. And that mm. is her sister. Now, Elizabeth Garrett Anderson was the first woman officially to qualify as a doctor. And I say officially because we talked about James Barry a little while ago, didn't we? Did we? Mm, yes, we did. We did, didn't we? Uh, yeah, we did, yeah. Yeah. And James Barry, or Margaret Ann Bulkley, we mentioned, qualified as a doctor, but she disguised herself as a man and lived the rest of her life as such. So it, it's trickier to kind of say that... James Barry slash Margaret Ann Bulkley was the first woman because she didn't qualify it with everyone having the knowledge that she was a woman, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So Elizabeth Garrett Anderson is the first woman officially to qualify as a doctor whilst presenting as a woman. And this is the sister of Millicent uh, Garrett Fawcett. Now, 
Millicent was born in born in 1847 and she's one of 10 children. Her father, wow. I know there's a lot and there's quite a lot of, mm. lot, of, lot of girls in there, quite a lot of sisters. And her father was a guy called Newson Garrett and he was a ship owner and was what was was always I quite like this, described as a sort of political radical. So essentially he's going against the grain and he he was very much for you know they, he and his wife they they encouraged free thought, political debate expression of opinion all that kind of thing within their families you can imagine like being around the dinner table would have been explosive and brilliant and absolutely and and all this kind of thing and it's a great basis for radical daughters it really is because they were brought up to believe you can do anything and it it's going to be tough but you can and get out there and and fight for your rights and and, and all that kind of thing, which is fantastic. And recently, um, last summer, I think it was, I was up in Suffolk um, and I went to the, the town where the um, Garretts are and I actually saw the grave of Newson Garrett and Elizabeth Garrett Anderson. And it was, that was a real moment. I really enjoyed that, um, going to see them there and kind of, yeah, just, just almost paying tribute to a family that is a really, really important family. So let's go back to Millicent. There's, she was often asked, um, when did she become a suffragist? And in her own words, she said, I, I was always one from the time I was old enough to think at all about the principles of representative government. So this is, and I, and I did say that she was at the forefront of women's rights or the struggle for women's rights for over 50 years. So she starts young. When she's 17, and they, so she says that she's always kind of been this, this fight of women's rights. However, there's a very particular spot. When she's 17, she comes to London and she's present at the Ladies' Gallery in Parliament for a very important event. Now, this is the thing that I always feel like this lit the fire in her belly for what's going to happen next. There was a chap called John Stuart Mill and he was addressing an election meeting. He had introduced an amendment to the Representation of the People Bill. Now, this is the bill that essentially set out who was allowed to vote and who could you know um who basically who counted in terms of of getting the government in who who counted in terms of their opinion and he had introduced this amendment to say that the word man should be replaced with the word person um so he was basically saying let's give women the the right to vote if the MPs now bear in mind all male MPs if they were willing and they were not. Mm. And the entire thing was overturned. And at age 17, she's watching this from the ladies' gallery. And she said that her the fire that was already burning just f- went into overdrive. She said it was, it was fueled. Just Absolutely exploded. No. Yeah. Oh, and you can imagine that, can't you? Just watching from the ladies' gallery. And, Definitely. And thinking, I'm here. I'm watching this happen. And this, this is not going our way. And I, I need to mm. do something now. So she stuck around in London. Um, at age 19, she joined uh, the London National Society for Women's Suffrage Societies. Uh, she, now, by this point, uh, but a little bit later, actually, she gets married to a guy called Henry Fawcett, who is a liberal MP. And everything that she did, he supported her and vice versa. Um, it's quite interesting to note that he was uh, he was blind. And of course, 
back in that time, like any other disability, which is already, you know, hard enough to, to, to deal with in society back in the 1800s, particularly hard to, to deal with. So she helped him work really well within his disability. He relied on her. She relied on him. He massively supported everything she was up for. And it seems like it was a really ideal marriage. They were just hopelessly in love with each other. They had a daughter called Philippa. Um, it was kind of perfect. And the two of them just worked together as a team, which is fantastic. And then in 1874, she joined the Central Committee for Women's Suffrage and she ended up being the president for uh, the NUWSS, the National Union for Women's Suffrage Societies, for over 20 years. So now you've got this split between the suffragists and the suffragettes. So NUWS and WSPU on different sides. So Millicent's very moderate and she kind of distances herself from the very, very militant activities of the WSPU under Emmeline Pankhurst. She actively kind of goes, yeah, that's that's not my bag. I'm not going to endorse it. I'm not going to you know, do all of that. And of course, we know we're not, we're not going to delve too deeply into um, the women's suffrage movement because we all know how it ends. And that, that also this huge big topic for another day that, that obviously we, we could delve into potentially. But um, we do know that the Representation of the People Act is eventually passed in 1918. So that is, um, so she's 17, so that would have been 47, 57, about 64, 1864 or so. And that act doesn't get passed until 1918. So it's a long time later. When that um, act was finally passed, she was back there again in the ladies' gallery. So she saw the first one that really lit a fire in her belly and she saw the last one. She saw it happen. Which that is must have been such a touching moment. Just, yeah. But also quite to think that that has taken, it's taken that long. You know, she'll be looking down at her hands, looking very different to how they looked, you know, yeah. when she was last in there. It's a, the, to have aged and... Oh, that's very. It's a moving. lifelong fight. So, it is, isn't it? It's a it's a lifelong mm, fight, mm, and it's something that we mm. take for granted. Well, I don't think we all take for granted. I think a lot of us are very aware. But you know, yeah, you're right. It's that that change in in time, and there'd have been different faces in that room. There'd have been some of the same faces. Mm-hmm. You know, mm. having that come to fruition must have been amazing. And we should point out that in 1918, that was when the first women got the right to vote. 1918, of course, is the end of the First World War. Um, women have been encouraged to go into the factories, into the jobs that the men left to go to war. And all of a sudden, they're told, thank you, back to the kitchens, that's it, we don't need you anymore. And they were very able to go, you kind of do need us. And we deserve, you know, we, we've worked, we've fought, we deserve a right here. What they did do is got um, is they allowed the vote for women over 30 who were property owners. So realistically, that's a very privileged kind of tranche of of women, um, more or less, you know, more privileged than, than not, I would estimate. But it enfranchised about six million women. Now, what this meant is that women now accounted for about 43% of the electorate. But they're not still polit- still not politically equal to men. Men could vote from the age of 21. And the reason they put this age 30 uh, requirement in is because after the First World War, of course, a lot of men had been lost at war. And if they allowed women to vote on the same basis of men as men, women would have become the majority of the electorate. And they didn't want that to happen. 
Um, so it wasn't for another 10 years. Uh, so Millicent, you know, will have seen that happen and go, great, we've still got a fight on our hands, though. Another 10 years until women got the right to vote on the same basis as men. Um, yeah, so it's quite it's quite interesting how that uh, how that worked. And so she, she realised that there was more work to do. However, in 1919, she retired from actively leading the union. She sort of thought, I, I think my big struggle's done. I now need to leave it to the next group of women coming through to take the next step. And that then happened in 1928. And she saw this happen too, because she died the following year in 1929. Wow. Um, so really, you know, she, she, she got to see the entire thing come through. Now we're going to rewind a little bit. We haven't actually, I've not done this in any kind of logical order really. Um, I want to rewind back to the 1880s uh, and talk a little bit more about some of the other things that she was involved in. So in 1884, things changed quite drastically because um, her husband dies really, really suddenly in 1884 and Millicent becomes a widow at the age of 34, which is really quite drastic. Um, she carried on and she was supported by her extended family and she devoted more and more time to the to the women's uh, suffrage movement and, and a couple of other bits and pieces. And suffrage was not the only thing she campaigned for. And this is where I think people often forget that there is, there's more stuff going on than just women's suffrage at the time. Two of her other major causes that she campaigned for was the Married Women's Property Bill and the repeal of the Contagious Diseases Act. Now, do you know anything about either of these? So I know that there was a time when um, when you got married to a man, you almost became their property and mm. they paid for you. And that money would very quickly end um, with quite a few different circumstances that the woman would do. Mm. Uh, with the Contagious Disease Act, I believe it's... Um, uh, the police officers would take a woman to court in suspect of believing that they had a contagious disease and if the court judge allowed it then that woman could be um, uh, medically examined to see so it was a uh, yeah awful yeah. and it wasn't just any old disease either it was it was vd it was venereal disease mm. yeah exactly so the, the contagious diseases act now uh, you're right they could could take women to court but they could also just arrest them um and detain them and medically treat them as well if they just simply suspected them of being sex workers um they, they didn't need any evidence for this if they just saw a woman woman in the street and thought she looks the type they could come and arrest you um they could detain you they would often uh do kind of very invasive medical examination you're right you know fully kind of uh very you know um yeah anything that we would we would class now as sort of very invasive and and pretty horrific actually and it's all in the supposed name of controlling sexually transmitted diseases um however they didn't do this with any men so whether a woman was a sex worker or not they were not detaining men or any of the actual clients of any of these sex workers. So there's a big sexual double standard going on. And the aim is to control these diseases, particularly within the army and the navy. So if 
they decided they were walking down the street and they went oh you look like a sex worker they would grab you they would put you in what they um well they'd sort of give you this examination if you were found to be suffering with the venereal disease you could be confined to what was known as a lock hospital basically it's a mm. prison hospital um and you are there until you are pronounced clean again and there's the story of one lady who was, um, I think it was, it, it might have been related to Millicent Fawcett and her trying to change this law and, and, and fight for women's rights on this front. I'm, I'm not quite sure if there was a link, but there was one woman who was a slightly more aristocratic lady and she decided she was going to test this theory and she dressed pretty normally, but not, you know, not too sort of out, out there or crazy. And she was indeed detained by the police who looked at her and went, ah, she could be a sex worker. And when they eventually believed her and found out that she was this sort of aristocratic lady it caused quite a stir actually and so Millicent Fawcett was involved with with repealing this contagious diseases act which did happen in 1886 so she was really instrumental in that the other one that, that I mentioned and yes you're right it's about property of men and women so this is in 1882 that the married women's property bill comes in um, now it's interesting that it's married women only and basically, until you were married, you were still sort of the property of your father, really. What it did is it allowed women some control over their finances. And interestingly, on this, she did work with the husband of Emmeline Pankhurst, who was a lawyer. So there's kind of quite a nice sort of, you know, mix of things all coming back together. But one of the things that happened to her um, in the late 1870s, uh, she, Emmeline, not Emmeline, sorry, Millicent had been robbed at uh, Waterloo Station. Her purse was stolen. The thief was caught and charged. And he was charged with, um, and this is a quote, stealing from the person of Millicent Fawcett a purse containing one pound, 18 shillings and sixpence, the property of Henry Fawcett. Now, Henry Fawcett was not with his wife at the time. This is before he died. He wasn't with his wife at the time. He wasn't around. But because she was married to him, it was his property. And she said that she felt as if she'd been charged with theft herself. Because, it was, you know, they were basically, you know, she's out here with his money or with his property and all that kind of thing. So she campaigned for that and, again, got that bill uh, put into law in 1882. So she has a real... You know, quite a huge legacy here. There's another huge achievement. Um, she founded uh, Newnham College at Cambridge, and that was the second university college there to accept women. So again... I never knew she opened that college. Wow. Yeah, really impressive. So there's a lot going on here with Millicent Fawcett. And one of the things I love is, so the, this, this statue that was then put here in 2018 of uh, Millicent Fawcett... Um, there's a lot on the statue now the statues that are there are really some of them are really lovely um i was thinking the, the one of nelson mandela looks like he's reaching out for a hug <laughs> quite nice. i always want to come and give him a bit of a yeah. bit of a snuggle um and the gandhi um sculpture as well it's very rare that you see a sculpture of somebody wearing glasses there's i can think of three yeah, true. And, and one of them is this this one of gandhi and sandals as well i mean shoes fine but glasses is quite an interesting one to put on a on a sculpture it's quite rare to see that so when the sculpture was put here, there was a lot of thought about what goes into a sculpture of Millicent Fawcett. How how are we going to portray her? Who's going to do it? And the statue was given to a female artist called Gillian Waring. Um, it's a bronze cast and it started out f uh, after a campaign that was started by Caroline or Caroline Criado Perez, who is a rather famous um, advocate of women's rights. And she's, she's quite a sort of... Um, uh, 
yeah, she's quite a well-known um, campaigner at the moment. And she went out for a run on International Women's Day and realised how they were, she was running around Westminster, around Buckingham Palace, and she was like, there's only statues of men. There's nothing else. And so she said she sat down by Buckingham Palace and started the campaign from her phone. Now, it portrays Millicent at 50 years old. And this is when she became president of the NUWSS. So it's quite an important age for her. Um, the entire thing is... Well, so firstly, she's standing there. She's wearing this lovely... Um, Victorian walking suit which has got a long quite heavy skirt um, a sort of jacket and it's quite a typical thing of the time she's the, the, the dress or the suit rather is made of tweed fabric which you can actually see in the making of uh, the bronze texture. cast it's got mm. the texture hasn't it it's lovely and you can you can tell the tweed it's really the detail on it is really incredible um, she's also holding in her hands um, a piece of fabric and there was a lot of talk when it first came out of, oh, why have you given the, the woman a tea towel? Um, but actually what, what it was is when they were protesting, the women would make banners, signs, that kind of thing with whatever they had around the house. So she's holding this bit of fabric and it says on it, courage calls to courage everywhere. And this is an extract from a speech that she gave in 1920. And what's lovely is the letters on it, if you go really, really close and have a look, you can see the stitch marks around the edge of the letters. So it's as if she's cut the letters out of fabric, put it onto this bigger piece of fabric and then stitched it on, which is exactly what the women were doing. Um, it's really, really lovely. She's got her face is, it's again, really detailed. She looks, she's got really kindly, but strong face and i think there's a strong stare isn't there there really is Parliament. it's definitely a paddington mm. stare you know and she uh but it's, it's she's got there's a softness in her face too and and i would would have just loved to have been around that garrett dinner table with all those sisters that amazing family and just you know talking and imagining the the kind of the big heated debates they all got into and you do feel like she's there she's she, she's making her point but she's got some strength about her as well and there's a really lovely detail. So firstly, actually, she's wearing boots at the bottom. Now, these are, they're quite sort of heavy boots and they were, I believe, steel capped boots uh, because a lot of the women, when they were doing protests, were treated very, very badly by the police. And on certain occasions, there was one in particular, um, which was known as Black Friday, where they brought in this police from the East End, from Whitechapel, who were very, very different to the police in Westminster and who were very much used to dealing with pretty hard-nosed criminals. And, yeah, there was quite a lot of bashing and some sexual abuse as well. So these boots that she's wearing are, if you need to kick someone in the shins to get away or if you need to run away, they're, they're slightly kind of heavier, clumpier boots than you would expect um, a Victorian woman of, of decent standing to be wearing. But my favourite thing on that is on her left lapel is a brooch. Now, the brooch is a copy of Millicent Fawcett's actual brooch. The Fawcett Society, which is a society that, that uh, you know, campaigns for, for women's rights and things like that now, um, they had a piece of her jewellery and they lent it to Gillian Waring, the artist. She scanned the brooch and then incorporated it into the design. So this is as close as we can actually get to Millicent Fawcett. And it's a beautiful sculpture. And if you are, if anyone's going to Westminster, you're around Parliament Square, I beg of you, go and have a look. Go and look at the details on it. Look at her face. Look at the brooch. Look at the stitching. Look at the, the, the skirt that she's wearing. It's fantastic. And then around the bottom of the plinth are the names and images of 55 women 
and four men who all supported women's suffrage. And they, they appear, all of their photos there, and you've got everything from aristocratic women to working class women, including around the back is a photo of a lady called Louisa Garrett Anderson. And she is, that is her niece, that is um, Elizabeth Garrett Anderson's daughter. So this is a family of radicals and fighters <laughs> with this. And I think we should have a statue of Elizabeth Garrett Anderson as well. We might, might have to do a podcast on her one week. Um, mm. But I just love that we've got her finally there. And she's standing quietly at the back of the square, staring towards Parliament, which is a spot that she probably would have occupied anyway. And just staring over there, looking at the place that finally she cracked. So there mm. we go. That's the story of Millicent Fawcett. Um, that was so lovely. I, you know, I, I knew a bit about her, but gosh. And I remember when the statue was unveiled and it was quite emotional, actually, mm. because I didn't even really think or question for the years that I've been, you know, walking around and guiding that, oh, you know, there's not really any female statues yeah. around here. And you just get used to it. Yeah, you do. And so it, it was really um, like, wow, but also very upsetting yeah, she was the only one at the same time. It was like that's fantastic, but it's also yeah. really sad that it's 2022 and there's mm. one lady here. Um, yeah, because there should be more on that square. And I mean, Emmeline's around the corner, which is a little bit hidden. You have to know where she is to go and find her. Yeah. Um, up on Whitehall, we have a sculpture which is the Women of World War Two Memorial. Uh, but again, that took a long time to come, and that was one where pretty much England was the last Western country to have a sculpture to the women of World War II. And I think Canada actually gave us a nudge and we're like, guys, come on, come on. So it's a very recent yeah. statue. And it, again, a lovely one, really beautiful. Um, and actually when that was unveiled, it's just up from the cenotaph. So if you are going to have a look at Melissa um, Fawcett, have a wander at Whitehall and go and see the, the beautiful sculpture, which is all about, it's, it's all the different uniforms. It's about 25 or 30 uniforms of the things that the women did during the Second World War, which then when the men came back, they went, we'll have those jobs back, thank you. And the uh, uniforms are just sort of hung up on the peg. And when that was unveiled, um, who actually, the, one of the people who um, had raised the money, Betty Boothroyd, um, who MP and used to be Speaker of the House and all that kind of thing, she went on, apparently she went on, um, who wants to be a millionaire to try and get some some money for it. And when they opened that, the there was a fly past of World War II aeroplanes driven or flown exclusively by women. So these things are coming. They are happening. But you're right. You know, there aren't that many women. So we're talking about, in fact, we're just talking just down the road from where we were last week on Trafalgar Square. And I, and I sort of slightly facetiously said, oh, the, the other three are topped with dead white guys. Yeah, but the fourth one could be a woman but it's not it's, yeah. it's you know and i'm loving the art we've got so actually i'm quite happy that alison lapper won because it kind of plays into this but where's the next sculpture of a woman who is not a queen near there I'm trying to think what have we got um so you've got florence nightingale just up the road oh yeah and, and mary uh, sequel on the other side of the memorial. and mary sequel on the other side of the of the river Apart from that, I'm I'm a bit stumped. I can't think. Yeah. Isn't that terrible? Oh, we've got Edith Cavill a bit further up, so that's kind of up Oh, yeah, towards... true, Charing Cross. Okay, so they're coming. Uh, they are coming in. They are coming yeah, in. They are coming in. But we do need some more. Yeah. Yeah, we do. Mm. 
Wow. So tell us, tell well, us, listeners, who would you like to see a sculpture of? Yeah, true. Know who you'd yeah. fancy uh, somewhere around there? That'd be awesome. No, we need another woman on the square, I think. As I, I uh, talking to um, the first female beefeater at the tower, Moira, um, I'm you know, quite friendly with her, and I've always said to her, you know, I, I'm a bit, you know, sort of big fan of the of the, of the moves that you've made as, as being the first female beefeater at the tower. And she's always said to me, it's much more important to be one of two than it is just one. And I'm like, yep, mm. you are true. You are right. Wise words, Moira, so. wise words. <laughs> so there we go. Podcast pedestal. What do you think? Well, you first. Okay. Um, I'm going to go for her sitting in the ladies' gallery, age 17, watching that that bill get overturned, that, yeah, the representative representation of the people bill getting that nixed in parliament and just i just i love this i've got this sort of image of her sitting there and just sort of being engulfed in flames and just going right off we go it's war that would be i think that would be my pick yeah very good pick and i think i'm gonna have to go for her in the same place what was it 50 years later yeah 50 years later yeah yeah something like that no she'd been where, she, she was head of the given the right yeah so it's longer than 50 years isn't it um no it's about 50 years yeah 50 60 years yeah so i think it's her it's her it's her in the same place and um hearing the news that things are getting overturned yeah and Oh, so that's yeah. quite a good head-to-head, actually. It's the it is, it's the fire it? that ignites, or it's the culmination of the fighting. Mm. Um, that's a that's a oh, that's a good head-to-head. I like that. I like that this week. Bring it on. That's a fair fight. Bring it on. <laughs> We've also decided that we are only going to post the poll on our in, on our Instagram page belonging to the podcast now. So. Um, don't forget to go and vote there that'll be where you need to go we might sort of still give it a nudge over that way from from ours but uh, that's where you need to go to uh, to vote later on this week let us know what you think the wheel of destiny so are you ready for the wheel i am ready for the wheel it's you next week isn't it yes um, and i've added quite a few new places oh have I you have oh my goodness say. okay all right crack on then <laughs> Okay, off we you go. Do love, you do love mixing it up, don't you? <laughs> I do, I do. I had a good old rubbing off session earlier. Um, Wait, what? So, um, <laughs> I knew that sounded as <laughs> Anyway, the wheel is turning, off we go. Oh, yes, it's landed <laughs> in Stoke Newington. Oh my goodness, I'm glad I didn't get that. That's a bit off piece, gosh. <laughs> It is a bit off piece, but I wrote it on there because there's something in particular. You had something in mind. (laughs) And I've had it for a few weeks. Go on then. Um, So I want to talk about, and I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's called Abney Park. Oh, yeah. And in particular, yeah, it's like a beautiful, beautiful cemetery. I used to walk through it all the time and I lived in the area. And in particular, I'm going to talk about the animal king, Frank C. Bostock. (gasps) Oh, I don't know about him. This sounds exciting. Yes. So, animal yeah. King. Ooh. yeah. Not the Tiger King, the animal king. Not the king. Tiger King. We did it first. We did it better. <laughs> <laughs> so there we go. Okay, amazing. I'm looking forward to that. 
that's it uh, yeah for next week fantastic well I think that's it for this week um, short and sweet um, anything to tell people before we go um, do we want to say anything I don't think so no just have a lovely no. week everybody have a lovely week we'll Thanks see so much you for next us week again. and we'll, we'll find week. out more about not Tiger King the Animal King Looking forward to it. Bye.